Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Patty Johnson, president and COO of Ron Sontag Public Relations. Patty, wonderful to have you here today. Thank you, Paul. I'm happy to be with you. Absolutely. Well, if there's one thing I'm passionate about, in addition to sales, it's marketing. And I know you know a thing or two about this important topic, so let's dive right on in. How did you first become interested in marketing, communications, and public relations? Well, you know, it's a big umbrella. I went to Marquette. I came to Marquette to actually go into broadcast comm. I'm originally from Boston, the Boston area. And after graduating from Marquette, more in a, in a communications role, I really couldn't get a job right away. So I got a job as a cocktail waitress at the Mark Plaza Hotel, which is now the Hilton City Center. And after, you know, dishing out drinks, the rooms division manager asked me if I wanted to be the public relations director of the hotel because I told him that I had a marketing degree you know, between my broadcasting and marketing that I took as a kind of a double major. And I made a name for myself kind of doing PR and marketing and promotions. I loved special events, which a lot of people do really love, you know, because marketing is such a big umbrella, people, you know, young people, especially they say they want to do special events or they say they want to do media. So I did that for about a year. And then the head of marketing and PR for Marcus knew Ron Sontag and Ron was looking to grow his business and he introduced me and that was 35 years ago. Actually, in two weeks, I will celebrate my 35th anniversary here. And so that is how I got to join Ron Sontag and it's been a great experience. We do so many different things here and all the things that I love about marketing and communications and PR I've been able to really do for my clients over the expanse of my career. So, you know, it covers a big umbrella. You know, young people talk to me all the time and, you know, what you do and what you think of marketing and what, you know, you could ask 20 other people about marketing is all totally different, but it's all, it all has the same, there's a thread going through it that's all very similar. Well, one thing I got to say, I'm a little disappointed from somebody who hails from Boston. I was expecting a thicker accent. Fa, ka. Did you just lose the accent at some point or what's the story there? Well, because I started out in the broadcast comm area at Marquette, I was on Marquette TV and I did a, you know, when I forget who was running for president, but I was on TV and I said, the Democratic Party is meeting at the Fista Hotel. And the director said, stop, stop, you can't say potty. And I said, I didn't say potty. I said potty. It's totally different words. Potty is where you go to the potty. You know, you go to the bathroom. Potty is P-A-R-T-Y. It's the correct word. And so, but over the years, really, I've worked my accent out. When I do have a couple of refreshments, Or if I talk to family from home, I do revert back pretty quickly. But I think the Midwest accent is actually the really cleanest accent. 
And I tr- do try not to have it. But of course, now you've just really put it in my head. And, <laughs> I, oh, you know, and the other words we say really weirdly, weirdly, is words that end in A. We say pizza hmm. and idea. And, but those don't, people don't talk about those as much. But yeah, that was a rough. And there's a lot of people that go to Marquette that are from Massachusetts. So, yeah. but see, I just really reverted back for just a moment, but I'm going to try to be very clean in my broadcasting accent. Yeah. See, that's just one of my favorite accents of all time. My bosses are Tim and Mary Star. I just I yeah. love Boston accents. Anyway, sorry to mess with you psychologically there, but I just thought I would ask. One of the things that you had brought up is how you loved doing special events. Now, that's yes. one of the things you see everywhere. I mean, it just seems now, again, it's COVID, so we got to wait till the world opens up again, but you see nonprofits doing special events. You see for-profits doing special events. I mean, there's events going on all over the place. What would you say in your expertise makes for a good event? Are there one or two best practices, one or two hallmarks that run through all good events? And if so, what would you say those best practices would be? Well, you know, we started out doing really large special events. As a matter of fact, for 32 years, I worked on an event called the Taste of Colorado in Denver, which we had a half a million people in four days over Labor Day weekend attend that event. And we had big stars and great musical entertainment. And you really have to be organized. You know, a lot of people you know, put together special events and, you know, they think, let's have a fundraiser, you know, let's have, you know, we've got people that want to give us money, you know, on the nonprofit side, or we want to do, you know, a concert. And they don't think about, and especially in your business, they don't think about, you know, weather and they don't think about rain insurance. You know, they don't think about all the what ifs. And one of the things is that, you know, Al McGuire always said, proper planning prevents piss poor performance. I heard him say that when I was at Marquette, he came and spoke. And I think that you've got to have an excellent plan for the good stuff and the bad stuff. You've got to have a budget. You've got to have entertainment that is going to, you know, wow people. And you've got to have, you know, food. You've got to have all the elements that are going to make a good special event. And you've got to plan for, you know, a budget that's going to cover your expenses, but you've also got to, you know, plan for the things that could go wrong. You can't just expect that the event is not, you know, is going to go fantastically because, you know, you can have a storm. You can have, if it's an outdoor event, you can have an event like, like COVID come up. I mean, a lot of events that, you know, that I've worked on over the years, we've had things happen. So you really, planning is key. And then, of course, you know, the guys that have been on teams that I've worked on, you know, some of the things that they do, like electrical and tents and toilets and tables, they think their stuff is the most important. But I always joke and say, well, if no one comes, guys, (laughs) the tents and tables don't really matter. So marketing is really, you know, the number one thing after planning, I think. And, you know, when I first started doing events, it was just radio and TV and print and, you know, the world of social media in my 35 years of doing events and just doing marketing in general has really made life different. So one of the things that, you know, we do now is, you know, social media and then online marketing. 
you know, working with, you know, if it's an event that has children, then we work with, you know, the online mamas groups. You know, you just have to look at, there's so many diverse groups that you can work with online. So, you know, that marketing isn't just, you know, like people joke about, you know, we used to have three channels when we were kids growing up. There's so much diversity that is outstanding to work on marketing wise your marketing has to be multifaceted. So I think planning and then marketing and then, you know, everything else has to fall into place. So this next question, just because I'm insanely curious about how you're going to answer this as a person who has done a ton of event planning herself, a ton of marketing herself has been to a large number of events. What would you say has been the most memorable event that you've attended and what made it so memorable? I have to say my history with the Taste of Colorado has been really right up there, you know, because I dealt with all the entertainers, you know, you, it's, you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning to have the TV crews there, you know, the early morning TV crews, it's gutting, it's exhausting. And then, you know, I'm up till midnight giving pop, you know, numbers about how many people attended and how many turkey drumsticks, you know, were eaten and things like that. But I also would work with the radio stations to get the bands introduced. And when I'm on the side and I'm with the radio station MC and I look out on a sea of, you know, 10,000 people, and this event is free admission. And I look out at a sea of people of every, you know, age and people, you know, getting excited. And I'm with like Boys to Men or Brett Michaels or Blues Traveler. And I still have goosebumps thinking about it. And, you know, Blues Traveler or somebody is like right, they're behind the radio guy and the radio guy goes out and he, you know, does his thing to get the crowds amped. And he's like, no, put your hands together, you know, for MC Hammer or something. Those are the moments that I will never forget. But I will tell you that and, you know, we'll talk about other clients. I think I have to say that I get as much of a thrill of my clients who are home improvement companies who start out as, you know, small clients. And 10 years later, they go from two or three employees to 10 employees. And they've tripled their growth. And we helped, we started out helping them with a logo and a brochure. And now they're, you know, doing a few million in sales. Those things are just as important to me. It's just that they're not as sexy as, you know, meeting the Pointer Sisters and like some of the cool people and the name dropping that I'm doing, you know. You know, it's just that it's, it, those are really fun and exciting things. It's just that I have to say that that's how, the process has scanned has spanned over the you know the special events are just you know more fun and sexy to do yeah well i'll tell you you've got three very jealous people on this side of the microphone with all the names that you're dropping speaking only for me mc hammer and the parachute (laughs) pants how could you not get excited about that that's pretty neat we don't have guests on beyond the known every single day that travel in that company so we certainly appreciate you sharing that with us You started to allude to this, Patty, but yeah, some individuals and organizations, much to their detriment, think that's an event. How hard can it be? It's just a gathering between our clients or our prospects. This isn't going to be very difficult. And they quickly find that it can be an immense 
task. So I know RSPR offers a variety of services to your clients. You already kind of alluded to a few of those, but for anybody listening to this podcast today that might be interested in hiring your organization, can you speak a little bit more about the services that you offer to people that hire you? You know, we started out mostly as a public relations and media relations firm, but we've never really shied away from when someone came to us and said, you know, do you do this? Do you do that? Right before I started at the company, someone asked Ron, do you do newsletters? Because the company that the person had was a prosthetic orthotic company, a companies that fit and fabricate artificial limbs. And it was really a no-no back then to do marketing to doctors and marketing to physical therapists. And they wanted to do an educational newsletter. And Ron thought, you know, yeah, we can, I'm sure we could do a newsletter. And he kind of figured it out. And then when I started a couple of years after that, I kind of, you know, blew it open a little bit. And now we do about 25 newsletters all over the country for firms that fit and fabricate artificial limbs. And it's really one of our specialties. So, and in addition to doing printed newsletters, of course, we do e-newsletters. You know, printed pieces, brochures, especially through COVID, I think people have gotten, have gone back to an appreciation for printed pieces, especially because there's not a lot of ability to go and make sales calls, face-to-face sales calls. That's lessened right now. So direct mail is actually picking up. We do a lot of direct mail and a lot of printed pieces, brochures, and things like that. We still do a lot of media relations, articles, and stories about new products that our clients are either carrying or you know, now taken on. A lot of our clients, again, that do the artificial limbs that are really unusual and exciting. One of our clients had a, a patient who had was born without an arm and she just, you know, kind of never had a desire to wear an arm. But she saw that Miss Iowa was wore this really bionic arm and hand. So she decided to you know, check it out and went to our client and was fit with a bionic hand that the fingers worked and everything. So that was a story that we got in all the newspapers in Iowa. It was a great story. And she actually ended up meeting Miss Iowa. So we do a lot of news. One of our clients is Tops Take Off Pounds Sensibly. They are an international organization based here in Milwaukee. We do a lot of stories and success stories about their organization about their people who've lost weight and have great stories. We also do graphic design, corporate logos, corporate branding, a lot of different, we do a lot of advertising, planning and buying, both digital and, you know, regular advertising. And then a big area that we've gotten into in the last 10 years is we do a lot of publishing. We started a magazine about 20 years ago for a disabilities group out of Washington, D.C. area. And then three years ago, we bought another company and a mom and pop that wanted to retire. And we actually published five independent insurance magazines and seven plumbing 
industry magazines for different states all over the country. So that's another niche that we have, publishing magazines. And so we're very diverse. And I think our kind of two of our specialties really are home improvement and prosthetics. But we also, you know, still do special events. We do just really like a little bit of everything, but we have some really good core competencies that, you know, we're really proud of. Yeah, so I certainly want to take advantage of this big marketing brain that you have, especially because, I mean, everybody understands marketing is important. Everybody understands that they should be doing marketing to some degree, but where to start, where to begin of all the types of marketing that we could be doing? What advice would you give to an organization that knows how important it is, but has no clue how to get going? Well, sometimes that organization might be a company that is like a manufacturing company and they have someone that's in the position of sales and marketing, but really that person is just doing sales and they're growing and they're growing at a, at a healthy pace because even though our economy is hit with COVID, I think our economy is still inherently very strong. And I'm really a believer of this. I'm such a believer and I'm, I tell my clients, don't just sit back with COVID. You know, this is a good time to be business strong and get out there and keep pushing because if you don't, your competitor will. And the only issue is that going face to face, you know, is a little harder right now. So what are the tools out there that, you know, companies who can't go face to face and don't have any other marketing to employ, you know, what can they do? And depending upon what their budget is, you know, what can they do? Well, they can look at the digital. You know, they can start, if they have harvested some emails of their customers, they can look at doing an e-newsletter. They can look at LinkedIn and not only starting a LinkedIn page if they don't already have one, but really be aggressive at posting and posting on a, you know, a frequent basis. You know, I joke with people, it's like, I see someone that hasn't posted since 2019. And I said, well, how would that have worked out with your wife? If you just, you know, someone says, how's it going with Susie? Well, you know, we had a date back in, you know, 1970, but we, you know, I think things are going okay, but we haven't really seen each other since then. I mean, you have to work at it. So, you know, when we have a social media program with clients, we post at least, if they don't have a large budget, we post at least twice a week. And we post things that are lead driving posts. We also might post some fun things, you know, like it's Monday, if coffee helps, drink it, <laughs> you know? But we, we wanna post things that are from their website that are lead generating posts. You know, I have, a, I have two categories that I put business in foundation marketing and lead generating marketing. If their foundation marketing is bad, that's the first thing that businesses really have to look at. Like if their website is really bad, then we probably have to start with that. If their website has not been looked at since 2010, and there's a lot of those out there, then we have to get their website upgraded. On our staff, we have a backend and a front-end graphic designer and web designer. So we bring people's websites 
you know, up to speed, SEO, you know, Google approved. And then we work that website along with LinkedIn and, you know, making sure that those things are working together. But we don't try to bust people's budgets because it's not going to work for them. We just try to get them to start small, but also have it work for them. So you had mentioned with respect to the services that you provide at RSPR, one of those is marketing campaigns, you know, helping an individual or an organization develop something comprehensive, proactive, strategic. And I know you had mentioned that you're going on your 35th anniversary at your organization, which is quite a milestone, by the way. I'm curious, with all that you've seen, with all that you've been associated with, what marketing campaign are you most proud of? And why? That's a really, that's a tough question. I guess I think about, I can't really think about one, except that I can think, one of the things that, you know, Dave, I don't know if you know Dave Amorose. So Dave Amorose and I talk about a lot is our clients that buy into our multifaceted approach. Because people will say to us, what's the one thing I can do to grow my company? And I laugh, you know, I don't like laugh at them. I laugh with them because I say, if there was one thing I could do to grow your business, I would tell you what that was that I would leave at work at three o'clock every day. That would be awesome. I wouldn't be here till 6.30 or seven. I kind of work the second shift. I think that when, you know, you look, when we have clients who buy into our, we have many clients we've had for 20, 30 years that again, their businesses started in, with you know one or two people, a father, son, and a secretary, and now they have 10, 12, 15 employees. They had one office, now they have four offices or five offices. So my the best campaigns have been ones where people took the campaign that it consisted of the marketing practices that were even-handed and incorporated you know, small but consistent pieces that fit their budget. And then as they continued to work, we added on to them because you can't just do one thing. Like I've had clients say, well, it's been two months and that radio campaign's not working. Well, you can't, that's not how it works. A radio campaign doesn't work in two months. It might, you know, it could work in two months if you're giving away, you know, free remodeling, free insurance, but that's not how it works. It's consistency, frequency, consistency of message. And also the factors, you know, right now with, you know, COVID and things that are going on and other, your competitors, the way your competitors are marketing. So I think the best campaigns that we've done are the campaigns that have been campaigns that were strong from the foundation, from the core, and that have been maintained you know, for a long time, tweaked along the way, made stronger, and then add things like over the years, added Google ads to it, added, you know, maybe added digital ads, took away print advertising, you know, or less than print advertising, added radio when things got stronger, incorporated a digital newsletter, and maybe lessened the frequency of the print newsletter. And that's what we constantly do. We don't just you know, and then in two years, redid the website, you know, after we just freshened it when we first got involved with a client, because it's not a static 
process. Marketing is constantly growing and it's a live process. Well, let's talk a little bit about Patty on a personal level. And one of the things that you're passionate about also is one of the things that I enjoy. And at the risk of demasculating myself, antiquing, I understand that's a bit of a hobby of yours, a passion of yours. In fact, your parents had an antique shop that was open on the weekend. So you were pretty exposed to that at an early age. I can tell you, My wife loves going on road trips with me. I say that tongue-in-cheek because every time we pass an antique store, just got to look in there, campaign buttons or whatever the case may be. So talk a little bit about that. What was it like having your parents' own antique shop, and how has that really kind of fostered a love of antiques for you? It was the best life, really. It really was. I mean, it was a great way to grow up. I never, ever saw a cartoon as a kid because my parents, we just got up in the morning on Saturdays and went rummaging and antiquing. And I learned so much about history and antiquers, people that own antique shops, they don't want to just sell you something, especially they love seeing kids. They just want to teach you about the background of an item. And I loved every minute of it. We set up at, you know, flea markets and antique shows. And I learned so much about life and met great people. And I absolutely loved every minute of it. My mom, we had a great big, huge antique barn called Boulder Farm. And we had two stories full of antiques. And then we had one story that was full of used furniture and young couples came and bought furniture and used furniture. Young people didn't need to you know, there was no Ikea back then. And it was, I mean, we knew what, I think my dad invented upcycling and he didn't even know he invented upcycling. And it was a great way to live and I loved it. And I learned so much and I did a little auctioneering when I was in high school. And I had a huge doll collection that I sold to pay for a part of Marquette. And I loved every minute of it. And then I just stopped when I came to Marquette. And then when I got married, I started like buying a little bit again. My husband has really no interest in it. So I'd like to go, I'd like to come out with you and your wife. As a matter of fact, I started, my husband's really involved in politics. I started a campaign button collection for my husband and my mother bought him campaign buttons. And so I started a board for him because I felt he should collect something because everybody should collect something. And then I restarted my Barbie doll collection. So I have over 500 Barbie dolls and it's crazy. And then in January, I started an Etsy shop. So, and I named it after my mother. My mother passed away nine years ago and I'm fully back in. I hunt and shop and pick on the weekends and I love antiques. I think that I'm really, my goal is to reintroduce, especially young people to heirlooms and, you know, beautiful old items and for people to use antiques, you know, use dishes and decorate with them and not buy, you know, junky things at Target that are made in China. It's not a, it's just, you know, there's so many beautiful antique things and collectibles and even things that are mid-century modern that are so fun. And 
But yeah, it's really a huge passion that's been relit in me. And so what do you, do you collect campaign buttons? I do. Yep. And I was going to say, Patty, one of the things you got to do is you got to come over here to the star group because you've got a lot of excited people on this end of the microphone here. One of my producers, Cheryl, lit up like a Christmas tree when you told about your doll collection. So I'm sure you guys can exchange war stories. But yeah, I've always been into politics. I've gotten more into politics as I've gotten a little bit older. We've got three children and two of them are named after politicians. My oldest son is Kennedy and my daughter is Reagan. I've got a very understanding loving wife needless to say I love it. and when my paternal grandfather died gosh that would have been around 2000 2001 he left me his campaign buttons he's probably got three dozen of them several of them are from the 1800s and they're actually wow. hanging up in my office right now with the star group so yeah if you ever want to talk barbie dolls come see cheryl you ever want to talk about campaign buttons i will sit down with you for a while sister because that's certainly of interest to me Oh, awesome. That is fantastic. Yeah. I just, again, I found some buttons at an estate sale a few weeks ago. And then, and I found a Wallace pin, like a lapel pin. And I just, again, I love it. I love finding things. One of my favorite buttons is my Megusta Ike that I found. And I've got some lenticular ones, but I have to find them in the basement. The funniest thing when I write on my Etsy store is that I tell people like, I went to the basement today and this is what I found because the basement is full of boxes that when my mother passed away, I just packed stuff up. And then when I went away to college, I just packed stuff up. So I just go to the basement and then I find things and I'm really, I'm getting to the point now at my age, I need to start decluttering because I have just too much. So yeah, I've just been putting stuff up for sale and it's really funny, but I love it. And I think, I do think there will, there should be a resurgence of antique collectors and collectible collectors. I have a couple new kids on the block dolls up for sale <laughs> that I found. I don't know where my mom got these things. They were not mine because that's not my era, but it's really fun and funny. And, and it was great to do, especially like during COVID, I was home for two months working from home. So I would just go in the basement. My husband is my logistics manager. He handles all the boxes for me. And so that's what he does do for me. But I love going to estate sales. And But I'll keep you in mind because I don't know that Eric is going to want to keep the campaign button. So I'll keep you in mind. Oh, that would be outstanding. Well, I know Cheryl's got dibs on the Barbies. I've got dibs okay. on the campaign buttons. Rachel, new kids on the block? <laughs> we'll get back to you on that one. We'll see if Rachel okay. wants to take you up on that. We've got wonderful producers here. I love these ladies. All right. So Patty, I'm just curious then. So with all of the antiquing that you do, what have antiques taught you about marketing in general, would you say? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know that I can really say what antiques have taught me about marketing, but I can tell you what marketing has done for my antiques business. Sure. Perfect. I have an Instagram page and I have a Facebook page. So then when I post something, you know, on my Etsy page, I immediately post it on my Instagram if I think it's worthy and I'm hashtagging and I'm using all my marketing tools to post, you know, and try to get sales from Instagram. And I am spending a little money on Etsy to do, you know, some paid advertising and so I'm trying to use you know, my marketing skills to boost my sales on Etsy. And 
you know, of course, this is great. I'm getting a little plug on on your podcast. So this is fun. And but I'm still it started really as an homage to my mom, because and I think the fact that my mom and I and my brother, we'd get in the car on a Saturday morning because my mom was a full-time registered nurse and director of nursing. And my mom would say to us as kids, do you want to clean the house or do you want to go on an adventure? <laughs> and we would say, Boy, we want to go on an adventure. Yeah. And so, I mean, my mom would pack lunches and we would go antiquing and then we would end up at a park in the afternoon. And, you know, she made antiquing fun and we would meet crazy odd people and, and it was, we loved it. So it was a really lots of great life lessons. So I want to share those life lessons. And it's a really great community of people. I mean, yeah, there's crazy people, but there's crazy people in every genre of work that you do. But sometimes I think I would just love to, you know, run away from my PR and marketing world and just do antiques. But I think that there's a lot of synergy between the two businesses because they're very creative. And I also do, you know, I try to, I put, I love Art Deco too. So I found this dish and it was an ashtray in the 1930s, but I washed it up and I put good and plenties. I said, yeah, it might've been an ashtray, but you could really use it as a candy dish. So I put pink and white good and plenties in it. And I show my pieces you know, in different ways that you could use them. So I try to use my marketing prowess in selling my antiques. And I just think it's a lot of fun. And you know what? You just never know who you're going to meet who also loves antiques. So now we have, you know, Cheryl and Paul on board as my new antique buddies. Absolutely. I said, I'm taking my middle child Hudson to a birthday party on Saturday afternoon, but man, now you got me all inspired to introduce them to the world of antiquing and kind of show them how fun and exciting that universe can be. But I tell you what, speaking of universe, it was wonderful for you to be in our Beyond the Known universe here for a little while. Patty Johnson, the president and COO of RSPR Marketing and Communications. Boy, what a blessing it was. Thank you for sharing your time, your talents, your passion with us. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience appreciated it as well. So Patty, wonderful to have you on the program. Thanks for stopping by today. Thank you so much. Really, really an honor. And I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.